Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Detours, a glory sports podcast. As always, I'm your host, David Stahl, and alongside me for the ride, producer Ben, Ben Patello. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me. It's good to be here, Dave. And again, I say it every single episode, but this time I this time I'm, I'm telling the truth. I am exceptionally excited for this week's guest, Quinn. Olympian, gold medalist, World Cup competitor for Canada, and perhaps most importantly, the first out transgender and non-binary gold medalist in Olympic history. That's amazing. That's, hey, not a bad resume. Not a bad resume. Not a bad resume at all, yeah. And I love the timing for this one, too. I think it's it's maybe our most timely guest we've had so far because, of course, June is Pride Month. We're so happy to be able to, to spotlight Quinn and, and all of their accomplishments and a really, really fantastic story as well. And also, it's the lead-up towards the Women's World Cup this year. And I know there's been all this hype last fall about Canada's men's team, as there should be. I mean, such a monumental new chapter for this team. But I think, and what I talk about with with Quinn in the pod too, is that look, let's not overlook the fact that Canada's soccer culture on the women's side has been strong for quite some time. Oh, it's been strong for a long time, and it's been like superior to the men's in every aspect: coaching, the team, the progress. I mean everything it's been it's been far better than the men's team and Quinn is in a really interesting position in in their career as well where you know they've been to multiple world cups representing Canada whether it's U20 whether it's uh, U23 Olympics whatever it may be and then on the flip side they're still so young they still have so much soccer left in them and and so they're sort of on that precipice of okay they're taking on a leadership role but also they're looked to 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 once again be one of the the stars of the team heading into into this summer so they're in a really unique position they were so gracious with their time they're running around doing a lot of press right now and uh, I, I really feel genuinely lucky that they they took the time to share their story with us and it's one again like we talk about soccer culture how does that grow representation on a baseline of canadians need to see other canadians succeed in soccer i think you know um uh, uh, jonathan davies all those guys play such a crucial role to that on the men's side but then also having non-binary athletes and lgbtq plus athletes and and strong women on the women's team as well take on those roles that's even even more important. So I think this is going to be a really valuable episode, hopefully, for representation down the road. And uh, yeah, I know, Ben, you're our, our resident uh, soccer fanatic in, Absolutely. in the office. So yeah, I, I assume you're fired up for the Women's World Cup coming up. I I'm super excited, and I'm very I'm I'm even more excited about all the progress that the women's game has taken over mm. the past few years. I mean, we saw with the women's Euro. I know Canada wasn't in it necessarily, but that the, the 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 sport in Europe has grown so much over the past few years. Mm. I mean, they were packing stadiums, 50, 60,000 people at Wembley for the women's games, especially in support of England because it was there. But the growth is amazing to see. And Canada, we've always had a really good team. We've always been on the cusp of winning the World Cup and winning that Olympic gold. And then we finally did it. So I think that coming into this year's tournament, 
there's a very good chance that this team not only goes far, but maybe even lifts the trophy. Wow. Maybe so. Like, it, it may be that year. There's there's other good teams, of course, as mm-hmm. there always is, but I'm very excited about our prospects as wow. Canadians this year. That's fantastic. And they also, Quinn also alludes to, to that ambition as well. I think there's a lot of hope, a lot of confidence around the team, and I think that confidence and that edge... Again, they spoke to that as well. There's that sort of neat idea where the men's team, it was sort of like, hey, we're happy to be here. We're happy to be in the World Cup. And Quinn was saying, that's not our mission. We're not happy to be here. The mission is not like, oh, great, made it through qualifiers, fantastic, check, and let's enjoy our trip. They are there for a very specific mission, Mm -hmm. and it's to hoist the trophy, and anything else is, is a disappointment. But again, a nice side mission is to show the world show the country show any either women or non-binary or lgbt athletes that there is space for you in this world so we hope very earnestly that you enjoy um we're very very happy to be able to present this episode to you and uh yeah if you if you enjoy the interview please subscribe please feel free to share give us a five-star rating if you think we deserve it but most of all enjoy our episode with quick Yeah, Quinn. So I guess to start us off, um, a good place to start typically, of course, is at the beginning. So maybe to give people a little bit of a summary as to how you first got involved with the sport and then maybe a little bit of a brief overview as to your path to the national team specifically as well. Um, And sort of, yeah, your initial path through the sport and how you fell in love with it. Yeah, yeah. So I really got involved with soccer. It wasn't something that was that was on TV or that my parents were really watching or playing. But um, I have some older sisters and they were playing little league soccer just at our local our local field. And that's kind of how I first fell in love with it. I don't really know to this day what drew me to it, but I was begging my parents when I was three years old to play on my sister's teams and they were they kept telling me like no you have to wait till you're five years old till you can join your own team um and then after that I just like it it was go 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 pretty much after that like I joined my first little team when I was five and I was even then asking if I could join in on extra games on my sister's older teams um and so it was wild like I just I couldn't get enough soccer even though it wasn't like a big thing in my neighborhood or a big thing in Canada at the time I'm curious what about it was were you sort of like an exceptionally competitive child or did you just fall in love with sort of the flow of the game I'm curious what about it really sort of uh stuck with you initially yeah I was definitely a really active kid I remember playing ball hockey on the streets every weekend and riding my bike and my parents threw me into every sport that we had access to and so I got a variety different sports and my mom grew up playing college basketball and so you know I had a lot of influence in other sports but for some reason the soccer just stuck I loved playing with my friends in the neighborhood and um, I don't know if it was maybe my hand coordination wasn't as good as my foot coordination so that's why I stuck with it but um, yeah I, I just I loved it since I was since I was a little kid. And obviously, so you and I are around the same age, and I, I feel like growing up, there wasn't really much of a blueprint for Canada soccer. Obviously, now we have such a, a strong core group of athletes, and, and of course, 
originally we also had Christine Sinclair, who's this massive champion of the sport as well, but really didn't have a deep cultural resonation. I'm curious, what are the some like major ways in a soccer culture has evolved since you were first introduced to the game? I guess both on and off the pitch. Yeah, I think visibility is definitely a huge part of it. Like I know for me, even getting access to any games on television or it was like when the national team came into town once a year is when I really got to watch the women's national team. And so I think it's evolved really in the sense of visibility. I think we're seeing, you know, on the men's side, you know, a lot more professional games here in Canada and on the women's side, you're being able to watch a lot more games as well. And so it's really, you know, showing younger kids that there is a pathway um, growing up to kind of achieve your dreams. And so I think that's a huge shift for culture in Canada. And then as well, I think with the World Cups, obviously the 2015 Women's World Cup in was a great opportunity for, you know, the country to experience the sport kind of throughout the entire country. And then now we're seeing with 2026, um, bringing the game back to Canada. Um, it's, it's really exciting for the entire country to get around both teams and, and being able to see the impact that soccer has. Mm. And you mentioned the, the notion of visibility too. Obviously you're such a core part of that, even leading towards that initial world cup almost 10 years ago now, obviously such a massive year for you not only as a player but also as an lgbtq plus advocate and i guess when you look back on who you were as a player and a person obviously so much time has passed since then the mission is still the same but i'm curious if you've noticed any key major changes in yourself both as a player or as a person or as a public figure yeah, definitely. Like, I think I've grown a lot, both as a player and as a person. And I think, you know, those things are intertwined in some senses, too. I think um, in order to be your best on the pitch, in order to, you know, perform your best in any job that you have, you have to feel comfortable in who you are. And so I think for me, the evolution of of my game in soccer has also, you know, corresponded with how I feel I'm accepted um, in the community, in the LGBTQ community and in the broader community within Canada. And so I think for me, um, that's allowed my game to succeed. Um, and then as well, I think, yeah, I've just being able to get more experiences every single year has also obviously been, been a huge change for me in developing as a soccer player. Well, it's neat. You mentioned it is going to be kind of that full circle moment when the World Cup comes back to Canada. I think you said 2026, right? How important is that for young athletes to be able to see soccer players, not only on TV across the globe, but I guess how different is it when they're able to see the team in action in person or maybe have an interaction with the the players face to face? Yeah, I mean, I think it's so important for for younger generations and kids playing soccer to be able to see some of their role models in action in, in the country that they're in, in their hometown. I think that's, that's hugely important. And it's something that, you know, impacted me in my development. I still remember when my mom pulled me out of school um, <laughs> to go and watch the national team practice down in BMO stadium um, one day. And I remember being able to interact with some of the players and, it was just such an incredible moment to see, you know, what 
what I wanted in the future and how that was a possibility and people really, you know, in action in my hometown, like playing it in BMO stadium. And so I think that'll be like such a cool opportunity for folks um, to be able to, you know, start getting a familiarity with the players a little bit more and, and really picking out a player that they, that they aspire to be like, I think that'll be such a fun opportunity for young folks. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about mentorship. I'm wondering too, if you can speak a little bit to any of the the logistics and give a little bit of an outline as to this mentorship program that you're going to be championing alongside uh, GE in June and sort of what the, the major mission of that is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited um, to be a part of the initiative with GE Appliances. It's called the See Them, Be Them initiative. And really what it is, is a mentorship experience for for young girls and gender diverse soccer players able to meet, you know, some of their role models, um, both in per- person and virtual experience. So it's really cool. GE Appliances is going to have eight people who they've, who they've chosen, eight young soccer players, and they're going to be able to do an experience where they get to come and um, it's just a once in a lifetime experience and they get to be a part of the program um, and do a virtual and do a in-person session, um, meet some of the national team players. And so I think that'll be just an incredible opportunity for, for young girls uh, because we're seeing in Canada, we're still having a lot of, of young girls drop out of sports um, and they're not reaching into that, adolescent and adulthood phase where they're still participating in sports and so hopefully this will just be another push and another kick for for young girls to stay in sports and it'll be another opportunity to inspire them to stay in soccer and and hopefully hopefully i'll see one of them on the national team one day if i'm if i'm kicking it and and they're progressing along their goals that's so neat i'm wondering and and maybe there isn't a clear-cut answer to this but i'm I'm curious what you think the barrier is to young young girls and young women sort of leaving the game before adulthood and how we overcome those obstacles is it something like this mentorship program is it seeing the blueprint of okay there are professionals in the sport and there are diverse professionals or pros that reflect who i am and sort of giving an example to young women or how do we sort of get past that 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 obstacle Yeah, I think for me, I would attribute it to a bunch of things. I definitely think visibility is one of them. And, you know, not seeing only players on your national team, but, you know, more than a certain archetype of what it is to be a a women's soccer player. I think seeing a diverse um, group of people and understanding that whatever background you come from, however you identify that there is going to be a place in sport. And so I think being able to share those experiences, I know for me, it's being able to talk to younger younger generations, younger LGBTQ folks on on what the challenges were for me. And so they can at least, you know, um, feel a sense of community and what the struggles that they're going through in sports are, and hopefully to be able to push them to continue on and, and show that there is a place for them in the future. Um, so I think that's that's a huge part is being able to connect to the group. And then as you were saying before, it's it's being able to understand what a pathway looks like. And so for me, it's sharing my experience of what my pathway looked like, which I know is different from every single person on our national team. Everyone had a different path to get to where they are today. I know Kadisha Buchanan, who's an incredible player on our team, she didn't make the youth national teams, which people think is like, 
crazy because she was, you know, FIFA best young player at the 2015 World Cup. And so obviously that changed for her quite quickly. And so it's understanding, like, if I didn't make this U17 national team or if I struggled to make the team that I'm on, that I still can, you know, find opportunities to push towards what my goal is in the future. Mm, I love that. And I can see, like, when you talk about these particular fan interactions or or the potential that it offers, like, you just do visibly light up i'm wondering if there's a particular fan interaction or maybe an event or a time in your professional life when there was a particular fan interaction that you kind of went okay this is this is why we do these community initiatives this is why it's important to be you know a a sort of a community public figure yeah i think for me the most powerful and impactful fan interactions on my life have been really, um, you know, younger players talking about them rejoining teams or them seeing, you know, either a national team game or hearing my story, and then they've joined their team again. I think that for me is the most powerful thing. And it's not necessarily, you know, they're not necessarily on a pathway to the national team, but they're staying active and they're participating in sports and they're learning all of those things and all of the joys that you can get from simply participating in the sports that you love. And so I think for me, those are the most impactful things is that I've actually decided to stay in sport or I've even pivoted and tried a different sport like that. You know, they're, they're just staying in the sports that, that they love and they're staying active. And I think that's such a powerful thing on our community and such a powerful thing on a person's, you know, own mental health and, and, and personal joys that they're experiencing. Mm. And speaking on mental health and sports, for in particular, I think one thing that's been top of mind, I guess for me personally as a fan from the outside, is there's been a lot of sort of disappointing discourse in the sports world about allyship, specifically this year, especially throughout the NHL. Um, I guess in a sports context that's often too wrought with either toxic masculinity or heteronormative standards, what are some ways that coaches that teammates um can be better allies and fans can be better allies yeah i mean i think for me um definitely one of the key ways to break down toxic masculinity and heteronormativity in those environments is education i think that should be the first thing that organizations are looking towards in order to educate you know their players and and their larger groups Um, in order to dispel kind of those myths and get people comfortable talking about, you know, their own identities and and how they view their own masculinity. Um, And so I think that'll be, that's an important part for organizations to do is to do that education piece. Um, And as well, you know, showing audiences maybe stories that they're, that they're not getting in, in, in the environments that they're part of, maybe stories of other athletes, um, stories about, you know, how impactful their actions are. I think those things can go a long way, getting more LGBTQ voices into, into their environments. Um, And so I think that, that is the first step, but just really creating a culture that's, that's more inclusive and, and speaking up if you are an ally for things that, that, that you see that, that you're not comfortable with. Cause I know for me on my journey, that's been the most impactful thing is what allies are doing and how they're speaking out because it, it, it does at times put the burden on the person who's experiencing it a lot. And so to be an ally and to be able to use your voice to speak out is, is really powerful. And, and you touched on sort of the 
importance of storytelling and authentic narratives there i think that's always the thing that resonates most in sports i think that's a also how we connect more fans to women's sports as well as tell that the stories and narratives of these amazing athletes that we do so often in in the men's game i'm curious if you mentioned uh, you've you've touched on a couple of your teammates um throughout i'm curious heading towards the world cup what are maybe some personalities or storylines that Canadian fans should attach to on the Canadian team? Who are some personalities that they should maybe um, look out for? Ooh, that's a good one. We have so many good personalities. Um, I'm trying to think of someone who maybe isn't in the pub. Is I think someone like um, Jesse Fleming is a really fun player um that i think about a lot in terms of like public spotlight i feel like people haven't haven't really she's one to shy off camera and so i think you know she's she's a really fun person and and she's gotten involved with our team a lot and she feels i think really really passionately about a lot of social issues she's often the person who comes to our team with you know a new book about about a new environmental initiative or or talking about the lgbtq community and i think it's someone who who does those things in quite a quiet manner but is just a really impactful person both in her community and on our team and so i think it's a she's a fun person but you know there are so many stories of of different folks on our teams that are doing a lot of a lot of different things and so i think it'll be fun for for fans to connect in in different ways and really hear some of the stories of our players and and be able to pick out that player that they're that they're going to follow along their journey and obviously the women's team and sort of like the the men's team is sort of playing catch up to all that the the women's team has been able to accomplish um over at least my generation i'm curious compared to the last world cup team how has it changed either you know key players or or um, members of staff that you've maybe lost or gained or just experiences that you've gained what what's sort of the difference in mentality and approach um, to this team versus the last team, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think looking back on our last World Cup, there have been so many changes throughout our team, whether it be our entire coaching staff has changed um, to the fact that I think people are taking a different role. Obviously, it's it's four years later, and so I think you see that natural progression, but I think an exciting thing for our team um, besides a different staff and a fresh staff is, is the different players that we have coming up. I think, you know, some folks are taking a different role. We have older players that are taking more of a leadership role that maybe aren't going to be seeing the same minutes on the pitch. And then we have some, some younger folks who, who this is their first world cup, but I think are going to be really powerful impacts both on and off the field for our team. And so I think it'll be exciting to see those new faces come in, not only experience. I love seeing a person experience their world cup for the first time. That is, it's it's going to be so much fun, but seeing them thrive in that environment as well and, and showing how much of an impact they can make on the pitch for us because they're going to be needed. We're really going to need our entire squad. And and so I'm excited to see how how we all mesh and interact and and how the older and newer players are, are going to all make a difference on the pitch. 
That's what's so fascinating with national World Cup teams and Olympic teams versus sort of yearly professional teams is you see those roles shift a bit more drastically. So it's such a large time jump compared to a year to year season. So, a, you know, a veteran player that's getting the massive bulk of minutes, they may be taking a more of a backseat leadership role in the, just the very next World Cup. I'm curious, you're serving this great in between stage where you have so much experience and yet you're still still in the the prime of your career i'm I'm wondering um how you see your personal role evolving um this year obviously that's also dictated by coaching staff and teammates and the flow of the game but i'm curious from a large big picture perspective yeah i think it's a really exciting opportunity for my age group specifically we have a lot of players that you know this isn't their first world cup anymore they've gotten a a, a breadth of national team experience we have folks who you know are, are getting beyond their 100 cap and so you know are well accoladed national team players um and so i think for us it's going to be so important the group that's around my age group you know like kadisha kaylin um jesse that that group that's to be really the leaders on this team. I think we've had such incredible leaders growing up and people that we've really looked up to as our role models, like Christine Sinclair um, and those folks. And I think for us now, it's really time to grab the reins and understand that this this is our team and, and we're the, you know, the new leaders of this team and we have the experience to be able to lead the team and and that our decisions and our voices are, are, are valid and they're really valued on the team. And so I think for us, it's stepping up into that role and really taking ownership in a new way. Hmm. And you do speak, especially with your sort of leadership role on the team, there's a lot of confidence there, which I think is something that we can inject into the Canadian athletic identity is a little bit. And you're no stranger, obviously, to repping Canada on the international stage. I'm curious how you think Canada is perceived internationally from an athletic standpoint um, and maybe how that shifted over time. Obviously, we saw the men's team is just back on the international stage. That clearly shifts the perception. The women's team is has obviously made its mark. Yeah, I'm just curious how you think we stack up um, maybe from an outside perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think we've always given been given the underdog type which I think has served us well for the most part. I think it's a role that we really enjoy being in as the underdog, but I think it is an opportunity for us to shift our identity and shift it on the national stage. We have you know, the accolades to back up the position that we're in as one of the leaders in soccer. And so I think for us now, it's it's to add that confidence and that swagger to when we show up on the pitch. We shouldn't be having an expectation that we're going to win, you know, the games that we show up for. And so I think for us, it's it's a new identity, not that of the underdog, but, you know, that of the champion defending a title. And so I think that's, that's going to be a little bit of a different mindset for us moving forward but i do think that there will be advantages to shifting that mindset um and and moving out of that underdog role but i do think it's exciting and i think you know on the men's side um being able to play that underdog role i think has really benefited them and they've you know they've gone out with that (laughs) with the attitude of like there's nothing to lose and i think that's so exciting and it's fun and you're gonna see them just like keep building off of that it's it's a powerful place to be in for sure that okay we've got nothing to lose and everything to prove and then at a certain point you get to the point where the women's team is where it's like okay we've graduated past 
that status and then it's sort of another daunting challenge but that's what's exciting about competition um that's awesome now, to close us out i guess and this leads back to the initiative with ge as well you'll be able to do this in a way more intimate personal way but i'm curious for young athletes hoping to follow a similar road to excellence that you've helped pave and that the women's team has helped pave what advice would you offer um and maybe at the same time what advice would you maybe offer yourself a young quinn first starting out in uh, in the sport I think for me, something that I've kept along my journey and I wish I had heard more when I was younger is just to find the joy every day in, in what you're doing. And I think that's really exciting about this initiative is there's not only an, uh, an opportunity to share my experiences, but it's an opportunity to have a, you know, a training experience as well and to be able to just share in the fun of the sport and go back to just me and, and younger players on the pitch playing you know the sport that we all love and so i think that's a really exciting opportunity um with the see them be them initiative is to be able to you know just get back to that joy of playing the sport really as well as you know sharing my experiences because that for me it's like i'm going i'm going to training in, in the next 30 minutes and i'm gonna my goal for that training session is to find you know that ounce of joy that I'm getting out of it. So it's, it's really the same to this day as it was when I was five years old, begging my parents to get on the pitch. Oh, that's neat. I love that. It's very full circle. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time, Quinn. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you for, um, yeah, gracing our, our June cover. I think it's going to be, yeah, I think it's going to turn out beautifully, um, especially I think the timing around it is perfect. It was all very serendipitous. So I really, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, share your story with us. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is, this is great. Thank you so much for tuning into episode 14 of Detours featuring Quinn. We hope you enjoyed the episode. It's a busy time in sports. I mean, obviously we allude in the episode, the Women's World Cup is coming up. We have baseball season in full swing. We have F1 coming to Montreal later in the month. The NBA finals are set. The NHL Stanley Cup finals are set. Stop. I'm going um, to, you're overstimulating me right now. <laughs> well, I mean, Panicking. hold on because in a month, we're about to be in a dead zone. That's the sad part. Though, right? <laughs> I know. Like, uh, we go from having the first and second round of both hockey and basketball yeah. that are just electric. Baseball just kicking this, off. Baseball just, just kicking off. Like, But you're just so saturated with sports all the time. And it's sports that are meaningful. Yeah. Like they, every game means something. And then in like a couple weeks time, it's going to be <sighs> nothing. We're going to be uh, NFL draft is over. We're going to let, like, cling on to the NBA draft, I guess. And then it's just dead space. There's just 400 baseball games every day <laughs> yeah. and talk about games that don't mean oh, anything. It's like, like the early games too. Like they're just, like they, they, <laughs> app, they, they don't mean anything. They don't mean anything. But we're on a sweet spot right now. We're recording this on May 30th so obviously this week this comes out on friday that will be the day after game one of the nba finals just last night ben we watched the miami heat kyle lowry and the miami heat yep come back to save <laughs> save themselves from blowing the first 3-0 lead Ooh, in nba history horrifying for them but they're moving on yep. they're playing jamal murray and the denver nuggets mm -hmm. 
And then on Saturday, we have the Las Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers going after each other. It's going to be intense. Both series, I mean, obviously the hockey is going to be physical. It's playoffs. But I maybe, uh, you know, we talked about this earlier. I want a chippy series out of the Heat yeah. and the Nuggets. I don't know if we're going to get that like you were saying. But I'd really love it if they reignited all that beef they had in the past well, few years. Because we were talking about, you know, there's the old Markeith Morris versus Jokic. And, you know, that's obviously dead with Markeith. And then you have the whole uh, Aaron Gordon and, and um, Kyle Lowry had a beef in the bubble. That was a long time ago. I think, you know, those sorts of things are less, okay, those are going to be specific conflicts that come up. Yeah. And more just the energy of both teams has not changed. Like, there is an intensity there. There is yes. hard-nosed basketball and it's the finals but i think they're also going to be calculated like i was saying so i guess we'll we'll preview i'll let you give your prediction for maybe the the hockey um stanley cup finals i'll I'll give my note for the uh the nba finals Uh, and i think maybe a key to the series is going to be like i think a kyle lowry is going to know his worth in the series Mm -hmm. he's going to have to play like he did in game seven and make his presence known so he's not going to be you know chippy for the sake of being chippy but his role is also to get under someone like jamal murray's skin yeah and to make him uncomfortable in a way that the lakers couldn't like you know dennis schroeder's trying his best i i think that kyle lowry and the heat defense is going to be a different beast i think that zone is going to be really disruptive to denver um i think mike malone is going to be playing a lot of zone in his practices today (laughs) but i'm going to go with with denver and six i think it's going to be competitive and i think we're going to see a canadian in jamal murray hoist the trophy but i i do think we're in a pretty good spot as canadians we either get to see kyle lowry take home his second ring or we get to see Jamal bring it home for the first time since, off the top of my head, Andrew Wiggins, I would say, is probably the last Canadian to have won a championship, given it was last season. But yep. So, Ben, heading over to the Stanley Cup Finals, what's your prediction for the Florida-Las Vegas series? Well, we're in a very similar position as to the NBA Finals. We have one team that swept through their conference finals opponent, those were very close games. It was the weirdest sweep of all time, I think, honestly. Florida versus Carolina. It, there were one-goal games, the, the quadruple overtime game. Mm-hmm. They won the series with three seconds left on the clock. Yeah, It was just a very close series. Doesn't but, feel like a sweep. Yeah, and but nonetheless, they swept them. Mm-hmm. So they've had all this time off. Vegas was up 3-0. Then Dallas brought it back to 3-2, and they beat them in six. Yeah. So you're getting that same sort of thing where the series was pushed longer than it had to be, and the other team had a gigantic break. Rest versus rust. Exactly. That being said, I do like this Panthers team. And the one thing that's always the X factor in NHL playoffs is how hot your goaltender is. And Bobrovsky has been, without a shadow of a doubt, their best player. Mm. And Kachuk has been scoring game-winning goals every series. Mm -hmm. But Bobrovsky and Kachuk, the goalie specifically, unbelievable. You turn it over to the West, and it's that classic brand of Western Conference hockey. They hit hard. They're a big team. Mm. They're so solid defensively. They have a coach who was dumped by Boston after making the Stanley Cup Finals. After that year, they brought in the new guy, had their best season ever, and he got. And now he's in the finals. So mm. he's got something to prove. He wants his ring. Paul Maurice has been around this league forever. On Florida, he wants that ring. So there's, there's so many narratives here. But for me, the way I've seen Vegas play, 
I don't I don't know if Florida can stop them. I don't mm. know if they're big enough. I don't know if Bobrovsky can take that much pressure game in and game out and make 50 saves a night. I don't know if the rough and tumble Kachuk and Bennett duo is going to work against this big team, you know, because both of these teams have guys that play, they play clean and they're class and they score. They have the guys that are nitty gritty that will do cheap shots because it's playoffs. They have the goaltenders. They have the big defensemen. The list goes on. That being said, I think, you know, it's a we're in a unique situation. If either one of these teams win, it's their first Stanley Cup in franchise history. Vegas only coming into the league about six, seven years ago. So I will say that I can see Vegas in uh, Vegas in six games. Vegas in six games. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's going to be tough on Florida. The state of Florida is going <laughs> to take a double loss on this. Double one. loss. West Coast is yeah. is sweeping the the championships in our eyes. We will see how it plays out. But in the meantime, we got nothing to do but just wait. We're get we're getting used to what it's going to be like in August. Just yeah. the waiting game for the these finals to start. But yeah, it's going to be really fascinating. In the meantime, hey, you got some off time. Go back in the Detours archive. Start listening to those old episodes. And in the meantime, as well, if you think we deserve it, give us that five star rating. Don't be afraid to subscribe. Follow us on socials at Glory Sports on Instagram, at Glory Sports on TikTok, and be sure to stay tuned for all upcoming content. Thank you so much for tuning in this week, and we'll see you next time. Bye.